0: welcome back party people to the place everybody wants to be you know it you love it it of course is victory lane and we have the champ ryan skip flores he won the championship this past weekend with ryan blaney and the 12 team over at team penske and he is our guest champion tire changer dog this week on the show Plus, we will obviously chat about each respective series championship race. We had the Truck Series, which was a race. (laughs) We'll get into that a little bit. The Xfinity Series, which was a great show and display of skill and sportsmanship at the end of it. And, of course, the Cup Series as Ryan Blaney brings home the hardware, the second title in a row for Team Penske, third in the last six years, and the first for YRB and the first for his crew chief, Jonathan Hassler, as well. So we'll get into all that, and we'll talk to Skip Flores. But before we do any of that, we got to throw it over to Papa Siegel, who's paying homage this week to Fonty Flock and his shorts. That's what I was told, at least. Let's hear what he has to
1: say. Thank you, Duve, and welcome, everyone, to episode 209. A few weeks ago, I teased that we'd be discussing another driver, Jack Smith, who arguably deserved to be on the NASCAR Top 75 list, but was left off. I was all ready to give NASCAR the business for forgetting about him because I wouldn't. Imagine my surprise and embarrassment then in discovering that I had forgotten that I already devoted episode 147 to Smith. Oops, my bad. Fear not, as there is another worthy campaigner that was left off the top 75 list that our wayback lens refuses to forget. Fonte Flock may not have enjoyed the notoriety of his brothers, Tim and Bob, or even his racing sister, Ethel Mobley. Still, he was one heck of a race car driver and a colorful one at that. Flock won 19 Cup Series races during a nine-year cup career covering 154 races. His 19 wins puts him in a tie for 44th all-time with Buddy Baker, Greg Biffle, and Davey Allison, all members of the Top 75 list, and two of whom are in the NASCAR HOF. Fonty Flock didn't garner national attention for racing with a monkey riding shotgun like his brother did with Jocko Flocko, but Fonty turned some heads by sometimes racing in shorts. You heard me right. They were different times, my friends, before mandatory driver fire suits. Fondy Flock became known back then, not only for his racing chops, but also for running several races in shorts. Why? Simple. On hot days, like in the summer at Darlington, or in Daytona for the beach road course, wearing shorts was a way for Fondy to stay cool. And on a hot day in 1952 at Darlington, Fondy Flock won the Southern 500 wearing a pair of Bermuda shorts. Our host can certainly appreciate the joys of wearing shorts at inappropriate times, like in Lansing, Michigan in 30-degree weather. Truth be told, I think he got that one from me. That's all for this week. Back to you, Doof.
0: Thank you, Dad, as always, for that wonderful 0 to funty Flock for episode 209. I don't know what you got cooked up for the rest of the off season, but I uh, I sure will be waiting with bated breath to find out. That's for sure. Let's start off this episode as we always do, and that of course is with a good old-fashioned. <laughs> kind of hurt a little bit. My uh, my throat's been giving me shambles this week after I've come back from Phoenix. I I think it's like adjusting to the east coast thicker air with more humidity even though it's the winter basically at this point versus the desert dryness uh i really think that is it anyways i digress let's throw it over to the chat with ryan flores you know him as skip he's a stacking pennies co-host he is a championship tire changer he is a daytona 500 winning tire changer he's an industry pit crew vet and he is our guest here this week We only scratched the surface. I joked with him later in the conversation that I got to like 5% of the stuff that I prepped for that I have in my outline, because Skip is just a man of mystery. He's got a lot going on. He's got a lot to cover. And we chatted, of course, a ton, ton, about this past weekend at Phoenix, the money stop that was not necessarily not money, but it wasn't super money either. that might be confusing, but he'll run you through why and the details of that. And the fact that he now can call himself a cup series champion which means a lot from a kid from new jersey means a lot for a kid from new jersey who has been through the ringer been told more times that he can count that he's not going to make it that he can't do it he has turned that hate into motivation and now he's getting the last laugh as a cup champ so i'll get out the way let you hear the chat with ryan skip flores tire changer champion dog of team penske Pleasure to welcome onto the show this week, a championship dog. I'm not Danielle, I'm not Corey, but I can know that Ryan Skip Flores is a dog of the week because he is a champion. I got to ask you first, Skip, how does it feel to be introduced as a champion of the Cup Series? And I may say again, but I have a follow-up question to that.
2: Yeah, I mean,
0: definitely. Uh, it's, I don't know, like at the end of the race, I just
2: felt like relieved that we did it. Um, I think you get in that championship four final and you just, you want to capitalize on it. So to, to capitalize and be able to leave with it, with a ring is, that's the, that's the biggest thing I felt was just like relieved and, and feel accomplished.
0: Was there pressure that you felt during the race leading up to the race? Because when you say that you felt relieved, that leads me to believe that you felt a lot of pressure leading into it.
2: Yeah, we have a stressful job. It's like being, um, field goal kicker but i think that, i think i saw a stat that there was like 50 50 to 55 pit stops throughout course the playoffs for competitive teams and there was 42 competitive pit stops so like ones where you're not waiting on fuel like real deal competitive pit stops was about the average and that's like at any point in time you can knock yourself out of the playoffs with a bad pit stop and uh that's like uh it's just when you get down to the end like I said it on on our podcast this week. The only thing that I really focused on the week of of going to Phoenix was just reflecting on why I started and, and, uh, you know, really enjoying the moment, not being stressed out about it. Um, Because I've been to the final four and lost there and had a bad damn pit road. So, yeah, it was just, it was, it was a lot of fun. And and I really just kind of, uh, Maybe being 36, being older now, I just kind of took it all in and enjoyed it. And uh, it, it kind of enjoyed the whole experience, tried to slow it down uh, from from start to finish. So, yeah, there's a lot of pressure on that last stop. Um, but you remind yourself why you started and why you're doing it. And it kind of gets rid of all that.
0: It's crazy how that works, right? I feel like everybody, whether it's a pit crew member, crew chief, driver, any sport really, I feel like when they go into a big moment with the mindset of, Sun's going to come up tomorrow. I still got my wife or my husband. I still got my kids. Life will go on. It feels like whenever people go into events with that type of mindset, good things happen, and I guess you're kind of living proof of that. Yeah, so I, I kind of had that feeling. Like, and no
2: matter what happens, my wife and kids are going to love me. But then I was like, yeah, they're going to love me more. though will win this championship. Let's go <laughs> win it. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, I mean. We, look, we prepare, we prepare, and this team has prepared to be a championship team all year, right? There's nothing – I think that's a question you get asked a lot the week um, leading up to the championships. like, what are you doing different this week? How are you preparing this week? And it's like, no, it's – you know, we we give our best every single week, right? It's a championship effort every week. Um, it's no different than going to, to Richmond in the spring or going to Darling, You know, like it's – you have to prepare like a champion – You know, in the practice area, in the gym and at the racetrack every week. Um, And if if you're not doing that and and, you know, putting the work in for the 36 week season, you know, there's nothing you're going to do that one week on the Phoenix. That's going to that's going to propel you to 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 win.
0: How is the celebration? You may or may not have gotten a fat lip. I saw that on X, I think.
2: Yeah, those two car guys, um, they're like my best friends. I, I was on the. I was with them for a long time, and then we kind of switched up pit crews a little bit last year. But those guys. Uh, I mean, the week before, in Martinsville, they actually gave me a, a fat lip, and then the the uh, right there. I was trying to sneak by them at Phoenix, um, but I think at NASCAR and NBC posted it. Yeah, they got me, and they beat the living crap out of me. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's just dude. We you know you spend so much time not not only with your own team, but with the guy you know the two car guys the 21 the 22 we're all in here you know four days a week you're you're with them you're flying with them you know there's a lot more than just what you see on sunday uh over the wall right i'd say one percent of your time as a picker guy is actually spent doing competitive pit stops right most of the time you're in a, in a minivan or at a hotel or or on the airplane or, you know, in the pit practice area, in the gym, and that's where relationships are built. We have a, a really strong culture here, and we, you know, it's we we all pull for each other and try to make each other better. So, yeah, those guys, that being said, they beat the crap out of me there when I was walking by and
0: heading to victory lane. Lovingly, though. That's the key, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like an older brother. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm curious your wife and your kids' reactions when – they were watching. I don't know if they were there with you in Phoenix, but when when you got home and what were their reactions when they finally saw you? And, Daddy, you're a champion. Yeah, I think
2: that, you know, Harper, my daughter, we've been uh, – she's really been into, like, coloring, and we've had this one coloring book that she makes me every week um, the last couple of weeks as a like, good luck charm. And she'll make me a new one every week, and uh, it worked out. So she was super excited. That kind of made her feel like she was part of it. And then – my, my wife, my wife, uh, I finally have more champion or as the same amount of championships as her. She worked for team Lo's racing, um, with Jimmy Johnson. So she's got, she, she had won two championships with him on the marketing side. And, uh, I, yeah, joke. like now I have, now I have as many championships as you do. She doesn't have more champagne models <laughs> on the, on the trophy shelf. So, uh, yeah, it's just, everybody was super excited and, and they, you know, they pay the price. It's, When you're in a when you're in a playoff run like that, it's super hard to be present. I mean, that's the one thing you battle with. I talked to Logano about it quite a bit. Like, hey man, like, how how do you be present during this? Like, how do I how do you leave the stresses of like focusing on pit stops and you you just like. It's just, like, kind of, you get so anxious. You just want to be at the racetrack on Sunday. Like, let's go. I don't want to wait on it anymore. So that the days from, like, when you're done practicing on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, until you fly out on Sunday, it's like, all right, I want to be a good dad, and I want to try to be present here, but my mind is somewhere else. Uh, So that's been a struggle. But they pay the price, and more. You know, your family when you're when you're doing this pays the price in more ways than one. And and really, you know, they they won the championship just as much as you have. You know, when when you're on yeah. the car. Uh, so they didn't come out with me to to Phoenix, um, but we're excited to celebrate in Nashville for sure. Absolutely,
0: I hear you're getting maybe a custom suit jacket for the banquet. Is that right? Oh yeah, I went and met
2: with my buddy Stitch by Mitch yesterday. Um, so I had I had an idea. Last year, I felt like we, you know, we all felt like we kind of should have, should have and could have won the championship last year. And I'm like, man, we're going to do this. We're going to win it next year. Like that. I, I even said to Roger Pinsky at, at the holiday party. So we're going to do this. We're going to do this again next year of 12. Um, and I just had this idea. We, we did a podcast with Corey Mamba last year, kind of going over everybody's fit, like critiquing the like, red carpet. Uh, and I was like, well, if I if we win, I'm gonna get just thinking this in my mind, I'm gonna get stitched by Mitch to make me a suit with all pit stop pictures from the year, like big moments, victory lane pictures. And uh I I had that idea. And then when we made the round of the round of twelve, I was like, hey man, or round of eight, maybe. I was like, Hey, Mitch, this is the idea I've had, like wanna put on your radar. He's like, let's do it. I said, "Well, I'll be back in touch when we make the round of uh round of four, right? The, five, the championship round." And we won Martinsville. When we we're driving home, and I was like, "Hey, man, I'll start getting pictures ready." Yep. <laughs> and we actually we actually met up yesterday, so cool.
0: <clears throat> pretty excited about that. Yeah, I'm,
2: I'm super pumped about that. I've never had like a custom, I've never had a custom suit or anything like that. So mm-hmm. what better time?
0: What better time? You're gonna look
2: fresh. That's for sure. Goofy. Yeah, yeah. I'm going full Peaky Blinders with the
0: vest and everything. So good. Look good, feel good, play good, get paid good. That's what they say. It's Coach Prime. Um, Damn right. Damn. You're wearing a Daytona 500 champion jacket right now. I'm sure that you'll probably oh, yeah. get a, a a NASCAR Cup Series championship jacket in due time. How does a Daytona 500 win compare to a Cup Series championship? I know that they're completely different. You did them with two different drivers and two different guys around you, but two of the most high-level pinnacle moments that you can possibly have in the sport, and You've experienced both of them here in the span of a, a couple of years.
2: Yeah, so the Daytona 500, you're just kind of like, it's just such an event, you know. And it's just you're just like elated to win it. It's it's about you know putting your driving position, but more so about the the driver executing and and uh, and surviving the race, you know. And then when you win it, it's 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 pretty surreal. But the grind of a season is like that, you know, it's pretty fresh in Daytona and it's the first race of the year. And it's, it's a total different feeling, right? It's more excitement to win the Daytona 500. And like I said, it's just more, feel more accomplished and, and more, uh, like, so I just keep going back to like feeling relieved and like there's a weight off her shoulder because it's such a grind throughout the season. And it's so hard that like when you make it to the championship four, you make it that far and then you don't win like it's such an adrenaline dump and it's like oh we're so close and now it just starts over again in January when you come back for preseason training and it's just you feel like you've wasted an opportunity so to to finish it off and it's just such a different it's they're both very exciting things um but the championship man is just something that you it's it's just uh, I can't even explain how hard it is. And, and to start, you know, the same group of guys from Daytona uh, with no, you know, we had no, um, no changes on our team all year. It's all the same guys. And just to grind it out uh, with that group. It's ah, I can't really even explain it, you know. I,
0: yeah.
2: But, but they the Daytona him 100. The funny part about that with my kids. Right. Because I wanted to win Daytona 100 forever. I've been on the road for just my 16th try going to Daytona and we'd almost won it with uh Tony Stewart a couple of times when I was with him and we almost won it with plenty finished second, twenty-one car, and always had good shots at it, uh with Brad the year that he wrecked with Joey. But we finally win it and uh my kids were there. Yep. Uh so we go to Victory Lane and um they were not having it. It was too loud. And my daughter was just nervous that the planes were going to fly back over from oh, before. Boy. And then the confetti went off and my son was like not having it. So it was like something you want to do for everything. You bring your kids and your kids can yep. give a flying handshake less. Like they didn't care one bit. They're like, it's too loud in the air. There's too much confetti.
0: Oh. So
2: it just puts it all in perspective.
0: I think at the uh, champion's breakfast the next day, I remember I was chatting with you guys. I think your kids were at that too. So I guess they may have stayed the night.
2: Yeah, we usually go down there and get a house with the LaJoy's and um, and just kind of spend the week down there. Uh, so, yeah, they they they're into it. They they're and they're getting to the age now where like they understand like they'll they'll see um, they'll see you know dad on TV and mm-hmm. uh, understand like who who the players in the game are. Uh, so Hudson, uh, who's Joey's daughter, who's Joey's son is one of my uh, daughter's best friends. So be like, oh, there's Joey. There's Hudson's dad, you know, like on TV. Yeah. So they're, they're finally getting to the age to like where they understand who everybody is cool. and what's going on. So it's, it's exciting.
0: So let's go back to Phoenix itself and take me back through the money stop, right? We knew it was coming. Always kind of comes down to a late caution when the pit crews, they had their time to shine. Your guys' stop itself, it was not bad. But compared to the five team who had the number one stall or the 24 team, excuse me, the Hendrick guys, they got out fast because of partly their pit road positioning. But again, looking at the times, as you're well aware, Twitter lets you have it a lot of the time, the 12 team. But you guys didn't have a bad stop by any means. How frustrating was it to have a solid stop, but then come out and lose a couple spots?
2: Yeah, that's kind of what we focused on all year is just being solid and and giving Ryan a chance. And the Hendrick guys, you know, we had passed them and they were behind us, so they had nothing to lose. They just let it fly. And as we saw with Kyle at Homestead, he really pushes rolling time, right? And that's why he about ran us over at Homestead and got into the barrels. And they – yeah, they just – they were probably – they were three-tenths better than us on a stop and a half-second better on rolling time. And it just – they – he was he was really good on rolling time all day and the twenty four, like the first pit stall at Phoenix is such an advantage. Like more so than anywhere else that we go. But really when we look at the rest of the field, like we almost passed the one. We were to the one store numbers. And there was there was some small things that we probably could have done better or been more aggressive with. But at that point too, it's it's like I mean Get a stopwatch. Try to stop it on three tenths of a second. You know, uh, so you, you got to keep it in perspective. Um, obviously, we would have liked to been a little faster, but at, at the end of the day, you do a nine on the money stop at Phoenix, and you give yourself a chance, and that's that's all. Right. I, I, you know, it's it's not it's not about the picture, right? We want to make ourselves seem like the the main character in the story, but it's we're not. You know, it's it's we're just we're just playing playing a role. We're more like just. The defense. I heard that uh, earlier this year, where the driver and the race team are like the offense, right? They make the car fast. They're they're ninety percent of, of what you see. And then the defense, we just come in and, and try to hold serve and, and give them a chance to to win the game or to win the race. And and that's what that's what we did. Obviously, we would have liked to win the race, but uh, but yeah, I don't know. It was it was a little weird, like. 'Cause we did get there was we do we get handled a lot on Twitter, but like you're gonna that's part of that's part of, you know, professional sports, sure. right? You're nothing without the fans, right? That's why we do it. It's an entertainment business and uh you're you're gonna be critiqued. So like that's a big part of the job is like people telling you how bad you suck, right? And like as a bigger guy, more so than not, you just get told you suck and you're good. But I go back to you know those who know know and the work that we put in and that was our plan. That was our plan all year was to uh, be solid, give them a chance, and that's what we did. And that you know we kept them in the races all year long. And and Ryan, you know, Ryan and Hassler found the pace when they needed to. So yeah, the Hendrick guys probably had a little bit more pace than us all year. If you look at the the top ranking pit crews, they were one, two, three, four. You know, the five, the twenty-four, the nine, and the and the forty-eight. Yeah. they would just kind of swap uh so yeah I think it's important too like all right we we were leading the, the the championship the guy out of the championship four when we came down that last stop too so it's like you if you press and you try to get more and you don't get the wheel tight you're done mm-hmm. right where when if we're running third out of that you press and you you do you know you let it fly so yeah. I, I'm, I'm good with it, and uh, gotta, ring, gotta ring the show for it, so I'm good with it.
0: And I, on stacking pennies this week, I mean, I think your words were, this is why you do it, right? You didn't have any yeah. nerves. It was no nerves, just vibes, right? And you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like that probably comes from experience, right? You have been in the championship four before. You have won big races, been in big moments before. You had quite frankly, like you said, kind of helped lose it on pit road one time before. So at this point you knew that everything's on the line. There's a couple of people on the back stretch where you guys were, you weren't really like in the thick of things down at the front of pit road. You guys just kind of did your job, held serve and went about it. Whereas if you guys were third or fourth in the championship four at that point, that's when you push a little bit more. But I feel like the experience that you personally, Skip had in that moment kind of shine through. Do you think that's fair?
2: Yeah, it's about, you know, in moments like that, you just go back to to your training and the work that you put in with your guys. So like we the hay, I, I like this term. And it's actually the Gibbs the Gibbs, the head coach at Gibbs is the one I got this from. He was our Xfinity coach for a long time. The Hayes in the barn, right? And that's that's when we when we left here on uh on Thursday to, to go to the racetrack. Yeah, Hey, <laughs> we're working on it. He's in the gym. We're in the gym here. He's working
0: on his beach body. Um, he doesn't need to work like, on it. He's got it. Yeah. Be-
2: the beanstalk
0: I call. Exactly. Um, the green bean.
2: <laughs> when, when we left here on Thursday, that's the only thing that came to mind. The haze in the barn, the work is done. Like we are prepared. There's nothing left more that we can do to be better. Oh. And, In in moments like that, in big moments, right, you just fall back to your training. You just fall back to the level of your training, and we had put the work in here. We had made the mistakes right here in the pit practice area, Um, and and that's you know that that's what sets you up for success. So as long as you do the work, it's easy to be calm
0: in those situations. You've come a long way from hitting lug nuts at lunch breaks when you were at Roush to get to where you are now I I love when you told that story this week did you keep the faith the whole time were there any moments where you thought maybe this is the end I, I don't know if this is for me I don't know if it's going to work out did you know the whole time that you'd be here a champion
2: uh you know that was definitely the plan and there's just man I never wanted to be like corny and be like more people are going to tell you you can't you know like it instagram motivational speaker sure sure but it's true it's true it dude more, it way more people way more people tell you that you're not gonna do stuff and that, like i i don't know like if i had to start my Pick crew career over today i wouldn't make it like i can't compete physically with these nfl guys and, and d1 college athletes that we, they bring in but because of the work that i put in and the grind that like like i told that story at roush and there was one one or two coaches there that you know, after grinding for two or three years there, they took me in and they were like, hey, you know, we'll help you at lunchtime. And then they were like, hey, you know, you're probably never going to get a shot here. You need to go somewhere else. And that's when I went to store Haas. And I, at Stuart Haas, I really learned what it was like to be a champion because that first year at store Haas, um, it was with Tony. I was the backup tire changer, but I also worked in the aero group because I always worked on the race cars and did pit stops as well. And man, that that whole year was like trial by fire and we ended up winning the championship the same, you know, it was like the same way we did it. That, that 2011 might be that 2011 race and the championship battle between Tony and Carl was, I would say was probably the best in NASCAR history. Right. And that's why we are, yeah, that's why we have this format today because we're trying to replicate that. Um, and that's just kind of happened naturally. So I learned what it took to be a championship pit crew guy from guys like Ira, Joe, Hussey, Daniel Smith, Mike Casto that were on that car. Uh, and I've just applied that to my career ever since. And I've been at Penske now for a decade and watched teammates win championships, been in position to win championships. Hell, we won five Xfinity championships, been part of a lot of really big wins. But yeah, it's just, you know, it's you, you lose way more than you win in this deal. And um, it, you can't let it, Beat you down, you know. You gotta get you gotta get back on the horse, and and it's not really like I, I've learned a long time ago to not be emotional, it, right? You just put the work into it, and know that you're prepared, and know that you know that because of because of your your prep and your your preparedness, good things will work out and good things will come, and that's you know this is the yeah you know, all those like early mornings and all the stuff that you do that you feel like doesn't matter. Like when you get somewhere early or you, you're you the first one there and the last one to leave or you, you you do extra stuff that you think doesn't matter at all. It's just like, as it's as, as it sounds, right, it's stacking pennies. And, and then you finally, ha- you know, have enough that when you go to make a big deposit, you know, you cash it in and, and you end up winning. So it's made all the, all the things that I thought were dumb and small um, over time, those good decisions, it's made them worth it. To, to be able to, to be you know, a, a championship tire changer, which uh, not a lot of people could say they've done.
0: But I think, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, you moved down south ah. when you were like 19, right? You were yeah. really young yeah. when you did that. So it's one thing to have the perspective that you do now, being at Penske for a decade plus, being at SHR before that and Roush before that, and saying you're going to lose more than you win. You can't get bogged down in the details. Do the small little things. That'll help you get to where you are. But when you're 19, 20, mid-20s, it's hard to think that way, especially when you haven't experienced all that you have now. So I guess when did that mindset kind of shift or change for you? Who were some of the people that you gleaned that information or that wisdom from? And when did the flip switch for you to say, all right, it's not going to be easy, but I actually can do this, even though people are telling me that I can't.
2: Yeah, it was probably... So... Wayne Gaudet, who was my boss at Roush, uh, who kind of gave me – he was my finished fat boss and gave me my start in the sport. He reminded me at an early age – because I had raced. That's all I ever did was just race growing up. I raced board and I went and um, worked for the Bluets, who are prominent racing family in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And, like, if you can race out of that Bluets junkyard and with some of the guys that I grew up racing with, my cousin Keith and, and at Wall Stadium – like, if you can make it there, it makes everything else pretty easy. And uh, that, you know, that was like the heyday of Wall Stadium, too. So I kind of, at like 19, 20 years old, I had a lot of people that, older guys, would tell you, like, you can't do it. You're not, you're dumb. You know, I had like every nickname under the book. I, I pretty much went straight from high school to, to the Roush trapper shop.
1: Right. And it was
2: you get to beat down pretty good, you know, being around a, a group of dudes like that. But
0: I can imagine
2: I, I realized pretty early, like, man, I've done a lot of racing compared to some of these guys that are telling me I can't do anything. And then especially like the pit coaches that would tell me that I can do anything. I'm like, well, it's it's like uh, when it's like they tell a comedian when you get on stage, just picture everybody in their underwear. Right. And I would just strip them down to like who they were and be like, well. If you're telling a 19-year-old kid that he can't do something, then, like, there's probably more to your story, too. So, like, yeah. I'm not going to listen to you, right? And I, sure. I kind of figured that out at an early age. like, Because I was pretty naive. I was like, man, there are people that, well, like, want to tell you you can't do stuff. and am late on you. And, but nobody has that final say except you. Like, you're the only one that decides when you're done, right? And my career could have been over... I don't know how many times. I mean, I came to I came to Penske to be on the two car, and I ended up getting fired my first race in the middle of the Daytona Five Hundred, right? And had like a had like a big grind to get back through Xfinity, but through that, right, One, like I said, been part of five Xfinity championships and so probably thirty or forty Xfinity race wins, and been able to change tires for the Wood Brothers. Like, if I was just on the two car and stay on the two car for ten years, I wouldn't have been able to experience that. You know, racing with Lan and Eddie Wood and Glenwood and like that at the end of the day, when you look back at this and like winning a championship's great and it's like the best, you know, it, it's the pinnacle, but like then you look back at at, at the relationships you built, right? And the fact that like I can text Eddie Wood right now, who's the probably the coolest guy in the cup garage, right? And I I've been part of that, was part of their 99th win. It's just been been super lucky. And and you get around good people like that and you just take a little bit just a little bit from all the good people that you're around and apply it to yourself and it just makes you better. So, yeah, I mean, I guess if you're listening to this and you're one of the people that likes to tell people that they can't do something, you should probably stop doing that.
0: Well said, brother. Well said. Uh, I know I only got like five or so minutes left with you, but I got to hear the story. You got fired middle of the Daytona 500 when you were a tire changer on the two car.
2: Yes. I came over uh, from storehouse. I was on 39 and I came over to Penske I'll stand by this and I'll tell anybody at Penske, too. We were developing a new pick gun and it wasn't working for me. I could not get it to work for me. We had a really good off season, but there was a couple things that like we that were different at practice and like lug nut tightness. We would loosen the lug nuts to practice and then at the race we'd get there and they were too tight. And I just really had a really rough speed weeks from, from the duels to the buzz shootout, and then into the 500, I just could not get love nuts off. It was bad, and I had a little bit of a shoulder injury, too, that I was trying to work through, and it just wasn't working out, and there was a rain delay, and I I mean, I could not make this pick gun work for me. That was back when we could build our own pick guns, and I had just come from Stuart Austin, and Stuart Austin was pretty advanced at that time with their pick gun technology, and Penske was kind of on the forefront of theirs, like so they were a little bit behind, and I could not figure it out. So, yeah, I got cold. It rained at Daytona 500 and during the rain, they were like, Hey, we're going to put somebody else. Uh, so they did. And that, that was like the beginning of my tenure here at at Penske. Uh, and, and that was, you know, that was a big blow. Um, but like I said, you get back on the horse and you go, you don't, you know, what are you gonna do? Be sad about it. What's that gonna do? Right. You go, okay. Why do I suck? I suck because of this how okay let's make an adjustment it's just like a race car right like if you're loose okay you're not just going to drive around and burn the right rear off it you fix you're it. you're making an adjustment to, you make yeah you make an adjustment tighten it up take around a round of wedge out of it you know like are you, you put around a round of wedge in it and that's the same way i've approached my tire changer career like okay this isn't working to make a small adjustment here okay why okay let's look at this like in the middle of the season the 24 car was the fastest and i'm like okay let's let me watch Cordero. The front changer. Why is he faster than me? Okay, make a little squeak. Okay, now now I'm doing the same thing. So that there's no there's no room for emotion in any of it.
0: Last thing for me. So Hassler, right? His second year as a crew chief, full time. He gets a championship. Blaney obviously has gone through a couple crew chiefs in his uh, Cup Series career from the Wood Brothers, now a Penske, right? What is your relationship like with Jonathan, with Ryan? Because I know pit crew members, they can kind of get moved around and they don't really get talked about a lot as much as the driver or the crew chief. But I know that you have had relationships with Austin, with Ryan, going back to the Wood Brothers, Tony when you were at Stuart Haas. So with Ryan and Jonathan specifically, what's your relationship like? And I guess maybe a better question would be, how about the pit crew at large, which you're kind of one of the leaders of? What's your guys' relationship like as a unit with the driver and the crew chief?
2: Hasler's probably over me because I talk to Hassler quite a bit. Uh, I I'll, I come in every Monday. My kid goes to school. I don't know if okay, So I'll come in and get an ice bath and just go up there and kind of talk to him. And, um, but we, you know, we had a lot of talks with Hassler throughout the year. And when I got put on the car last year, just talking about team culture and, and you know, what we're going to do different. And he's, Talk a lot about pit stall selection. He loves picking back there pit stall between 38 and 43. I call it pit stall 57. Um, I, I say to him, I said, uh, at Martinsville, we picked the last pit stall. And I always say, uh, they go, Haster, what pit stall you want? And he goes, You got anything on the back stretch? No? Okay, we'll take the last one. Like, I always mess <laughs> with him about that. Um, but yeah, Hassler, uh, dude, Hassler works hard. Like, I. I joke with him a lot, but he is always, he's an engineer to the core. He's always staring at graphs, Uh, But he's been, he's been a good leader and he's been the leader that Ryan needs. And then as far as like Blaney, you know, I, when Corey was racing K&N and uh, ARCA back in the day, you know, I was around Blaney a little bit then. But then when I came to Penske that first year, Ryan was running some of the Xfinity car, but we also pitted his truck because he mm. was, uh, he was driving for BKR? Brad at the time. And I, I reminded him of that at the party uh, after we won the championship this past week in Phoenix, we had a little party afterwards at a bar in Westgate there. And I said, you remember the last time I raced for a championship together? And he's like, "When?" I said, the shifter fell off of that truck. He's like, oh my God, you were there. Like, that was a, he's like, that was a decade ago. I'm like, I know <laughs> we've, we've, you know, had a lot of success and a lot of failures together. And, uh, you know, I've known Blaney, obviously at the, at, in a professional work setting, but also as a friend before we ever worked together. And uh, yeah, he's, you know, he's, he's just so cool. Um, He's probably one of the coolest dudes in the, in the garage. He puts his helmet on and freaks out every now and then, as we've all found out. Yeah. But, uh, but you know, that, that fire is, is good. He's, you figured out how to close races here these last couple, these last couple weeks we all have as a team, right? Like, yeah, it's just, I, I did a podcast with Kyle Petty and Kyle Petty was outspoken, obviously about Ryan. That was, that was, um, you know, he he was outspoken, you know, Kyle speaks his mind earlier in the year. And he told me even off, even off camera, he did stacking pennies. He filled in when Corey was out of town, he said, y'all have got to figure out how to finish off races. And I'm like, yeah, we know, we know. Like, yeah. We know, but we would always just take turns, right? Like on the day where Ryan was having a really good day, the pit crew would have a bad day. Or when the pit crew's having a bad day, we'd miss strategy. And it was just like we all took turns and just never put the put the pen all the way to paper. But we always knew what we were capable of. Like we know that there's nobody better for the job as far as the picker goes. Like we're here, we're in here every day. Like there's no stone left unturned. Right there's no like the road crew. There's nobody that's weak in their position. They're all they're all championship guys, obviously now. But you know it's it's obviously easier to look back at now and be like, yeah, look, we told you. But sure. in fire, like when you're not winning, especially in a season like last year, when when you start looking at every aspect, right? And really, it's there was no holes in this race team at all. It's just connecting the dots. And once we got them connected, we knew we were capable of, of, you know, achieving whatever we wanted to achieve. Obviously we were able to win a championship, and but we knew that. There was never a doubt. And the, as far as like the pit crew, like I said before, it's mostly riding in the band together, right? And and we've, had, we've got a good mix of um, myself and Zach Price, uh, our root changer. He's been in the sport for a long time. He was a mechanic like I was at first um and then our gas man Chris Conklin he's been around forever he's got more Xfinity wins than Kyle Bush, I think uh yeah he's got a lot um he was a Jackman, man now he's a gas man but he was also a, a um he played he played for the Panthers for a little while he bounced around the NFL um Trevor Apsey and Jordan Osinski are tire carrier and Jackman they're football players as well they're younger guys so we've got a good mix dogs um, dogs we've got a good mix and it's you know there's more time spent in the gym and in the rental car together where we're all like i learned so much i i don't i don't know much about like working out or nutrition or like i'm a i'm a saturday night short track guy right yeah but i've been able to learn from my teammates and grow and put on muscle and you know we just hired a new trainer here nate and how i got i got surgery um, and I actually missed five races this year. I got yep. appendix surgery, and it was such a, it was kind of a blessing in disguise because came in and worked with Pam and Nate, our trainers here, Pensky, and came back for the playoffs stronger than I was, stronger and lighter than I was when I went, you know, went for my surgery. So, um, yeah, I mean, our team, we always knew what we were capable of, and it's it's good to to prove it.
0: Well, Skip, pleasure to call you champ. Pleasure to have you on the show this week. You going to Puerto Rico this off season? Is that right? Oh, going now.
2: Going to Puerto Rico tomorrow. Tomorrow. Faxes Greg wow. is getting married. Yeah, is Greg, Helen fan is getting married <coughs> in St. Thomas next week, so we'll bounce back to board Port- of my wife's family's uh, from Puerto Rico. So we we'll, we'll all go down there and hang out, and we're going to head up to Wall Stadium and run the Turkey Derby. So it'll be a fun winter for sure.
0: Puerto Rico and Wall Stadium—they go together like peanut butter and jelly. That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, uh, you got a hell of a story, man. Um, uh, pleasure to call you a friend and congratulations again. We got to like 5% of the stuff that I had on my outline here, so we have to have you back because only scratched the surface of the man that is Ryan Skip Flores, now a championship dog. So, congratulations, my friend. Soak it in this offseason, reset, recharge, come back better than ever for next year.
2: Thanks so much,
0: and we are back told you he's a man of mystery he's a very interesting dude and like i told him gotta have him back on because we barely scratched the surface as it pertains to him his career and all that spans skip in nascar and his uh 10 maybe even what 20 now plus year career which is kind of crazy to say but skip appreciate you my brother always and uh congratulations again on the championship and big thanks to drew taylor and taylor smith Yes, I know there's a difference, boys, Uh, for helping coordinate that conversation. Much appreciated to you two, and congratulations to you two as well on the ship. All right, as promised, let's dive right in, talk about the NASCAR Championship Weekend out there in Phoenix Raceway. We have the Truck Series on Friday, the Xfinity Series on Saturday, and the Cup Series on Sunday. Let's start in chronological order. And that would be with the worst show of the weekend, I will say confidently. And that would be the Craftsman Truck Series. Obviously, as you know by now, it's Ben Rhodes who wins the championship. His second career title, second in the last three years, second time that he's been drunk at the podium, which was hilarious. Uh, and ThorSport, Sport, they have, I think, what is it? They've won three of the last six or maybe five of the last ten, whatever it is. They've been really, really solid here in recent years, much in part thanks to Ben Rhodes, and his crew chief, Rich Lucius, who, by the way, was Ben's third crew chief of the year. He had three different shot callers this season, and they result in a championship. But it was not an easy road for Ben, Rich, and the 99 team to get to this point. And it wasn't easy for the checker flag to fly either. Holy Jesus! 25 plus laps of overtime. Four of them to be exact. It just felt like this was one of those races that was never going to end. The truckers, they couldn't really just get out of their own way. Obviously, the the big headline that's coming out of this race, unfortunately, is not Grant Enfinger almost bringing home a title or Ben Rhodes' second career title. It's Corey Heim and it's Carson Hosovar. So here's the lay of the land, right? You guys have seen it and heard about it and digested it by now, but a little bit late in the going, Corey Heim is in position to capitalize and pounce past Carson Hosovar to take the top championship for spot, clearly the class of the field, the best truck And he's going underneath him, gets by Carson Hosevar. Next lap, Carson dives in a little too deep, gets into into Himes' left rear, spins him around. And uh, that's all she wrote in terms of Corey Himes' chances at a championship, given that his track position was just not great and couldn't really recover. And, you know, it's the latest in a long line of, oops, sorry, didn't mean to do that, got to be better for Carson. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, I bet you it does because sounds a lot like Ross Chastain, somebody else who ran at in nice Motorsports as well. But that's neither here nor there. So then a few laps go by. Five laps to go to be exact, I believe. And Grant Enfinger, series veteran, won an ARCA championship with GMS Racing, who, by the way, is getting ready to shutter their doors, send their employees off into other jobs in the industry. Grant's going to be going away because the team's going to be going away, and they are going to do it. They're going to go out as champions. A storybook ending to a storybook organization. What a story. And then the caution comes out. What for, you may ask? Oh, I'm so glad you did. Well, it was Corey getting his revenge on Carson. Not according to Corey Heim, though, who, by the way, Carson and Corey, they both have been on this show. They're both young guys, both cool. I consider that I have friendly relationships with them. They're cool guys, right? But I think they both could have handled this entire situation a little bit better. And Carson kind of admitted as much. Corey did not. He um, he holds that, you know, the car was just loose or tight or whatever he said. Um, but NASCAR obviously did not think he was being correct. Robin, you're coming in to get some stuff you're packing. What do you have to say about uh, Carson Heim, Carson Heim, Carson Hosvar and Corey Heim? I know you didn't watch it live, but you've seen it now. I'm trying to remember if no, I didn't watch it live. I remember I was looking on Twitter the next. Oh, sorry, X. But you saw what happened. I did see what happened. It was pretty crazy, and I thought it was really interesting to see the input from drivers in other series. What'd you think about Denny saying that Carson does it and it's an act? Truex said that like him crying is an act. He doesn't believe that he's actually remorseful. Do you believe that take? I mean, I think Denny's one to talk. If I'm being honest. Oh, fighting words. My goodness. All right. Uh, I'm recording in the closet for you guys if you want some behind-the-scenes uh, access here. And Robin's packing for a trip that I'm also going on. So she's coming in and out of the closet, and there's no uh, there's no outside meaning to her coming in and out of the closet. What anyways. listeners like to join? We're going to watch Michigan State get their butts beaten this weekend. Yeah, it's going to be bad. I don't even want to go. Um, anyways, where was I? So, yeah. Uh, NASCAR decided to fine Corey Heim $12,500, penalize him 25 points for behavioral conduct that was, you know, intentionally wrecking Carson Josevar and, you know, also manipulating the race. You can't do that. That's just not cool. Um, and you know, Grant Enfinger, to his credit, he stood up, faced the music, sat next to Corey Heim in the media center for the press conference after, didn't badmouth him at all. Corey did not take responsibility at all. It was just a very stark dichotomy of a young driver with a bright future and a series veteran who came oh so close to getting that top prize in the Craftsman Truck Series and unfortunately kind of had it, unfairly in my opinion, ripped from his hands at the end of things because of somebody's aggressiveness. So that was tough to see if you're a Grant Enfinger fan. Um, And obviously the other driver that was involved in this was Ben Rhodes, of course, and he's the one that – comes through and wins the championship, but not the Truck Series finest moment. Um, I was joking with some people that were in Phoenix. That was a peak Truck Series moment, and um, unfortunately, I I think that was truly the case. But then we fast forward a day and a night, and we get to the Xfinity Series Championship race. Cole Custer, Justin Allgaier, Sam Mayer, and John Hunter Nemechek battling for the title. It was clean. It was fair. It was respectful. It was great. And that is what I'm talking about, party people. So much so that on Sunday before the drivers' meeting, NASCAR SVP of competition, Elton Sawyer, he literally got up in the drivers' meeting and said, I think we saw what not to do on Friday night, and I think we saw what to do last night. So that's just the stark dichotomy there. Xfinity has been probably the best show all year. The cars are phenomenal, the series is great, the drivers are good. And I just love watching the Xfinity series. And I have this year. It's It's been no different. And it comes down to, again, you guessed it, a late race restart with all four championship guys basically under a blanket battling for the title. And Cole Custer, Stone Cole, as they call him, he uh, was not in a good spot coming to the white flag. I think it was a green-white checkered, right? Yeah, it was. And um, somehow, someway, I think the 20 and the 7 both overcooked it into turn 1 and then turn 3. Cole was just nice, smooth, calm, and steady at the wheel, and he just drove right on by everybody, and he wins his first career Xfinity Series championship coming a year after he was basically demoted from the Cup Series. He had that one win at Kentucky, but last year was not a good year for Cole Custer in the Cup Series. He basically gets told, look, it's not working up here. We're going to send you down there, and hopefully you'll be able to get righted and get the shit back on course. I think the ship is <laughs> firmly pointed in the right direction after this one. And even if it didn't happen and he didn't win the championship, I think it's obvious that Cole Custer has what it takes to be a championship-caliber driver in the Xfinity Series, win races week in and week out. And I think if he can maybe back some of this performance up again next year and win races, win multiple races on multiple track types with his crew chief, Jonathan Tony, I think that you could be looking at Cole Custer moving back up to the Cup Series, whether it's with SHR or another team, which the boys at DBC brought up, Joel Edmonds, Brett Griffin, Freddie Craft, and TJ Majors, they brought up an interesting point of you know the whole nepotism aspect, being that Cole's dad, Joe Custer, has been a, a president or an executive at SHR forever. I wonder what it would be like if Cole were to go to a different team in the Cup Series, whether that's RFK, like they pointed out, front row, like they pointed out, or... Maybe even another manufacturer. You never know. Crazier things have happened in this sport. So never say never. But I do think Cole Custer is going to be back in the Cup Series sooner rather than later. So congratulations to him. Congratulations to everybody at SHR in what's been a very trying year professionally, competitively on the racetrack. Good to see them walk away with a championship. And, of course, we go to Sunday. That's the Cup Series. Championship race there. And for the first time in the history of this elimination-style format since 2014, the winner of the race is not the champion. Crazy, right? You'd think that it would have probably happened by now, but no, it hasn't. Ross Chastain, who kind of admittedly gets a bit overshadowed, he wins the race. And I even mentioned Christian Eckes wins the truck race, by the way. Um, But Ross Chastain wins the race on Sunday, second win of the year, had the best car all day long, very deserving winner. And Ryan Blaney comes home in second on the day, but first on the season, and he wins the Cup Series championship. Didn't come easy for him either, because as we talked about with Skip, right, the 12 team, they had a pretty good final stop, but it wasn't good enough to kind of get them out front. And I think a lot of people would have bet that Kyle Larson was going to be the one that walked home with another title, given that the five team did what they did in 2021 and put him out front on the last restart, had that clean air, and... Made it count, but that was not the case this time. We were able to see Blaney get by the 5, get by the 24, try to get by the 1 and the 19, but was unsuccessful in doing the former. But a very deserving champion. You know, he talked a few times, and you've heard it by now, about getting hot at the right time. He pointed to the Arizona Diamondbacks, which, by the way, went to World Series Game 5. It was awesome. Snakes alive, Gilly. Um, If you know, you know. Um, But he talked about getting hot at the right time. And I think that this was a perfect example of it. I saw a stat that I believe Dustin Albino had put out on X. Ryan Blaney's the lowest-seeded champion since the uh, playoff points came onto line in 2017. He was the 12th overall seed in the 12 car, ironically, to start these playoffs. And the previous lowest seed, I believe, was number six on the playoff grid. So that just kind of shows you how far down Blaney was entering the postseason and, oh, by the way, if you go back 10 or 11 weeks, whatever it was, to my pre-playoff podcast, guess who had Ryan Blaney out in the first round? Yeah, that'd be me. And guess who had the race winner at Phoenix out in the first round? Yeah, that'd be me. <laughs> I didn't see it. I did not see it coming to fruition, but clearly that shows what I know, and that shows that Ryan Blaney, Jonathan Hassler, and the 12 team, they got hot when it mattered, man. They whooped them at Martinsville. They almost whooped him at Phoenix, and if Ross wasn't air blocking, as he had the right to do, by the way, uh, he probably would have ran away and whooped him at Phoenix, One at Talladega, second at Homestead. I mean, just an incredible display of being able to close out races when it matters the most, which is not something that Blaney had been able to do for the majority of his Cup Series career. Nevertheless, what's in the past is in the past, and we are living in the moment And looking into the future, the future is bright for Ryan Blaney, and he is your 2023 NASCAR Cup Series champion. All right, I think that'll do it. That'll wrap things up here for episode 209 of Victory Lane 2.0. If you like what you heard here today, please do me a favor. You can leave a rating and review. You can do so on Apple, the Green App, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, wherever you get your pods. We should be available there for your consumption. And if we're not, please drop me a line. I will try to rectify that issue for you. Programming update. I anticipate weekly episodes being a rarity for the offseason. Just going to be honest with y'all. Guests are hard to come by because they have well earned the right to take some time off and not worry about competition or media or whatever. And uh, my responsibilities also are increasing. Just in general in the offseason. We've got some people on paternity leave over at XM. So I'm picking up some slack over there. And um, as it is, it's just very, very busy. Kind of the professional different escapades that I'm in and life that I live. So probably not every week. I don't know if it's going to be bi-weekly or monthly or whatever. But I'm planning to get you guys some podcasts and some content to get you through the offseason. I know the Chili Bowl is obviously coming up. Snowball Derby's coming up, and we'll have some other races and some NASCAR content and news that'll probably be dropping in between there as well. So we will be with you in the offseason, just not as frequently and not every week like we have been. But if you're not, we ain't going away. With that being said, I want to thank you guys for uh, tuning in and dealing with me and my BS all year long. I appreciate you guys so much for all the support, whether you listen, whether you watch, whether you support and you don't do either of those two. Doesn't really matter to me, but I just appreciate that you're you're on for the ride. And uh, it's good to be able to crank out content for people that can appreciate it, know it, and love it. So thank you to my dad and my grandma, who are probably the only ones still listening. And you, Kathleen, I know you're an OG. Uh, and uh, with that being said, I will catch you guys on the flip side. Again, we'll be talking in the offseason, just maybe not as frequently. But congrats to Ryan Blaney. Congrats to Cole Custer. Congrats to Ben Rhodes. And congrats to everybody for making it through another NASCAR season. And don't you worry. Larry Max got the countdown rolling just over 100 days till the 500 and just under three months until the Bush Light Clash. It'll be here before you know it, everybody. We'll talk to you next time.